Welcome back to the Global Gamers Podcast. Yeah, good. we're uh, we've got another great episode, another good review coming up here, and looking forward to getting into this one. This has been a a hot game I, this year. I know. I I kind of don't want to say the words, but I feel like we're delving into something else again. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, work, it, it kind of fits in this case. Um, Honestly, this one's kind of like the combination of the things we've been delving into recently. It seems like it's always caves and like oceans and stuff. And this has a like of both a lot things. of both of that because there's a lot of different elements mixing in. Yeah, this there game. are. Um, yeah, I feel like we're with this whole delving thing. We're starting like a global gamers bingo card <laughs> meme. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with that said, this week's game that we're going to be reviewing is Dwellings of Eldervale. Yes. Not to be confused with Everdell. Yeah, they sound very <laughs> similar, and they both come from a, you know, fa- giant box, giant box, and also a fantasy motif of sorts. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the the similar sounding names don't help, but they are fairly different games. And the way the way that I've thought about it is like Eldervale and Everdell are like flip sides of the say of like different universes where like Everdell is the nice one and Elderfail is like the evil underworld yeah, of it. Yeah, the upside down. Where like they're both are they're both like technic yeah, they're both like technically nature themed games, but Everdell is like nature is synchronized and working as it should and Elderfail is we completely like distorted and pulled nature apart into its component elements and now they're all battling each yeah. other. More yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So um, I can give a quick overview of this, but I mean, one yes. of the things I just want to say at the top is one of the reasons that we were, we'd, we've been wanting to review this one for a while. And one of the reasons that it felt like a good time to do it is just this past week, we had uh, awesome con come here in day, DC and uh, that we had, you know, all of these different folks come into town. My housemate ended up going to it, met, met oh. Sean Astin, uh, played Samwise Gamgee and Lord of the Rings. And Oh my God. Now I'm really, really extra sad that we didn't, I know. We weren't able to go. This I weekend. know he was yeah. there. Andy Next circus time, was there. Oh, okay. I didn't realize this was such yeah, a big deal. It's, it's quite an event where we've yeah. got to, we've got to make our way there next year. But, uh, but yeah, with that, fantasy backdrop here in our backyard it felt felt like only appropriate to do a fantasy themed game this week yeah it also is kind of coming off of um our last review we did was nidavellir which also was kind of like fantasy creatures fighting a dragon so this seems like the big brother like the big buff brother of nidavellir well yes well and (laughs) i think in a way you could say nidavellir is the hobbit to dwellings of Eldervale's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that is an excellent way to put it. And you know, I appreciate that reference. At the <laughs> um, so with that said, let's actually get into Sounds this good. game. So why don't you give us a basic overview? Yeah. Of this game? So dwellings of Eldervale is a, a sprawling worker placement game set in a lost fantasy world. It, it was published in 2020, and it is in the top 150 games, number 136 on BGG right now. 
It was designed by Luke Laurie. And when you see how big this box is, it won't surprise you that there were a ton of, I think about 10 different artists that worked on this. It was published by Breaking Games. Complexity rating of a shade over 3, 3.27. And I mean, like we said at the top, this one has been pretty hard to get your hands on. Do you want to talk yeah, a little bit about say, your experience, you... like even getting getting oh, a hold yeah. of this game? When you when you said that you know it had a publication date that it was three years ago, um, that kind of feels wrong yeah. <laughs> in some ways because my understanding is like the first printing that they did. Because I don't I don't know much about breaking games, but my understanding is that they're not a very big established operation. Like even if you look at the dwellings of Elder Rail website today it looks very dated and I don't want to sound mean, but it looks kind of low. Budget. It looks like a, like a mid two thousands website. I, I, I don't yeah, know. It's like, I haven't been on the site. I do know that Luke Laurie, the designer of this game has, you know, several other games under his belt. Um, and has, yeah. you know, coming from like a long, a long time established in the world of like D and D as a dungeon master. And I think that, right. But, yeah. you know, designing and publish, publishing are two For different sure. things. Like you can have established designers who hop around between Certainly. different publishing companies. Um, but basically what I was getting at with that was my understanding is that the first printing of Dwellings of Elder Vale, um was relatively small. Mm-hmm. And part of that was because they didn't know that this game would be as much of a success as it turned out to be. It was very, very much a hot commodity. Oh, yeah upon publication kind of took the hobby by storm. Um, as we said, like very big, bold presentation, very, um, you know, traditional theme, but very bright, vibrant in how it yes. does it. And lots of cool mechanisms playing into each other. So it really was a hit, but what that meant was that it very quickly became hard to find because yes. there weren't that many copies in circulation. And when you combine, you know, the pandemic with all the shipping issues that kind of lingered from that for a while and the production issues that you know lots of publishers have dealt with it meant that this game really was not available for a long time and so my experience with that was i signed up um we've talked many times about labyrinth our local game store here in washington dc i signed up for a notification on their website for when they were going to get the new printing of Dwellings of Eldervale back in stock because I had missed the Kickstarter campaign for the new printing. Um, And so I signed up for it months ahead of time. And then one day um, in like late March, I think it was shortly after we did our most anticipated episode because this was on my list. They sent me an email that basically said, Hey, we see that you signed up. Um, to receive a notification when this is in stock. We have two copies that we got today. No, we cannot reserve any copies. It's first come, first serve. So I got on my bike and I biked down to Labyrinth and picked up one of those two copies and <laughs> biked back, which was not easy given that this is a massive box. Yeah. It's like up there with the, it's not as big as the Wingspan nesting box or the Everdell collector, complete collection. But it's not far behind but either. It's, it's up there. It's like, it's like scythe, but like twice as thick. Yeah. 
or three times as thick maybe, and a little bit longer as well. Um, so it's big, but basically that was my experience with this. And even then that was just to get the basic edition. I also really want to get at some point the upgraded um, components, which come in a second um, upgrade the kit. The monster mini The deluxe upgrade kit. Yeah. Yeah. The, so there's two different ones. There's the deluxe kit and then there's the legendary kit. The deluxe kit comes with like wooden resources instead of the cardboard ones that come with the base mm-hmm. game. And it also comes with the monster miniatures for the eight elemental, mon- elemental monsters mm-hmm. in the base game. And then the legendary kit comes with eight new monsters. So like each element gets a new monster that you can swap in yeah. for replay value. And it also comes with like... um sound emitting bases that you attach to each monster That's the so like part you move the monster and like, me. like i know i'm I, I i'm not like sure if i move the monster to a new space and like when you move it you press yeah. down on it and it goes like raw I'm, yeah, I'm not sure i think it's a I step too far the sound bases but it I, but yeah but i mean just to clarify that is the only way to get the five or the eight additional monsters correct yeah, that is yeah. the only way. And so um, I really, my priority would be the upgrade kit for the pieces I already sure. have. That would be nice. But just for reference, like that is not available. Like I asked Labyrinth if they were going to get it, like any retail copies, because they did list it on their website as coming soon and it never showed up. And I have asked them a couple of times when I've been in there since some of the staff seem to think it's never coming and some think it is, but no one knows. And I've scoured the internet. You cannot find it. I even looked on eBay to see if like, just out of curiosity, if it, if anyone's selling it and how much they're selling it for. And I couldn't even find a listing. Yeah. I think you so can, you can, it's like, I gold. mean, I think you can pre-order it for the third printing on the. No, 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 that, that's already done. They just, they just haven't updated the website. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that was for this printing. Yep. Ah. Uh, yeah. I didn't realize so that. So it's rough. Yeah, it's a very much a scarcity thing. But you know what? One day maybe we can aspire yeah. to that. Um. But yeah, that that's a lot about that, and that's just that's just a long way of saying that it is really special that you know I finally was able to get my hands on this game, and that we have been able to play it a couple times. And not to spoil anything, but I think it was worth it so with that in mind um i can give a little brief it is it is a more complex game so i'm just going to give like a brief overview of how to play and just some of the main mechanics that are at work in this game so as you mentioned already it is a worker placement game but it is also kind of a hybrid of different genres because it is also an area control combat game and you're also like building a tableau of cards yeah. kind of in the same way that you would in something like Everdell. Um, so there's a little bit of multiple different things going on. And basically what you're going to do in dwellings of Eldervale is as the theme suggested, we are one of eight um, elemental factions. So there's actually 16 factions, two for each element that you can choose between, but the factions are, you know, exactly what you'd expect from like a fantasy game. So you have like, Earth, air, fire, water, darkness, light, order, and chaos. Mm-hmm. Pretty standard stuff. I mean, order and chaos are like the big fancy ones, yeah. I guess. Um, and you, so you choose a faction to play as, and they're all like very different bright colors. And you're basically taking 
each turn you're basically either placing a worker on a spot in Elder Veil or one of the cards in your tableau to get resources, and then you're going to regroup and get them back between rounds and activate different powers as you get right. them back. And the way you're going to score points is by... During the game, you can kind of complete quests and um, do things during the course of the game. Most of the main scoring will come at the end, where you'll score based on where you are on this different elemental tracker. So each of the elements you're playing with will have a tracker. And the higher up you get on that tracker, the more your score will multiply for things like where you built your dwellings, how many dwellings you have on certain elements, how many cards you have that are matched with the certain elements. So if you have like two dwellings on Earth and you've moved up on the Earth track to be, you know, on the fifth level of it, then you'll get five points for each Earth dwelling you have. So it's the closest thing I could think of that's similar to this is Scythe. Yes. With the way the popularity track works. That's that's the best analogy. Um, yeah, and that's basically the core of like how you score points. Obviously, it gets more detailed, but and, you know, we don't want to get too yes. into it. But like the other main thing is the combat. So the combat shows up in a couple of ways. The first way is there are monsters that are affiliated with the elements. And so these monsters kind of get triggered. They kind of show up on the board when you pull out tiles that become part of the landscape right. of Elder. And generally speaking, these and are non-player controlled monsters. Yes. And basically they will, following like certain movement rules called rushing, they will you know enter your space if you put a worker or if you put a unit adjacent to them. And that will trigger a combat. And the combat in this game is super straightforward. It's all dice-based. It works exactly like, you know, some of the most basic dice combat games you can right. think of, where all it is is just, like, you add up the total value of your dice versus the other person's dice. Highest um, sum wins. And so, basically, the way you get dice is you get one die for each unit you have involved in the combat. You have the option to bring in your adjacent units into that spot to increase your dice, you get additional dice if you have a dwelling on the spot where the combat is triggered or adjacent to it. And then there's also a resource that are these little knives, swords that you can throw out and you get an extra die for each sword you throw out. So one time the monsters thing, will yeah. usually roll. Yeah. Um, the monsters will usually roll five dice, sometimes four. Wasn't there's one with win, six, isn't there? The um, frost giant. I don't. Maybe I thought the frost giant had five. Maybe it is. Maybe. Um, But yeah, they have a lot of dice, basically. If you win, the monster dies, and you'll get a one-time reward, which is usually moving up one of two tracks, the glory track, which is combat-based, or one of the elemental tracks paired with that monster, which again will affect your score multiplying. Mm -hmm. If the monster beats you, you get sent to the underworld, and you'll get your unit back later on. Um, Then the other way that combat comes up is combat between players. So same way it works the same way as the monsters where once you're on a spot where someone else is you kind of have to fight to remain on that spot so you'll do the combat same rules apply loser goes to the underworld winner will go up on the glory track and get some kind of prize it might be points it might be a resource it might be the opportunity to move up an elemental track of your choice um get an orb that you can use for like different benefits um yeah, it's just it's a lot of give and take and just a lot of choosing where you want to put things to get the resources you need 
building up an engine by building your card tableau. Um, yeah, and then expending your resources to buy more cards, to build dwellings, or to recruit additional workers or your special units, which are a warrior, a wizard, and a dragon. And the game will end once one of two things are triggered. One, um, the tile, the, the stack of tiles that make up Elder Vale is empty. So every time somebody goes to one of the ruined spots, um, which one is it? Is it the dungeon? To, yes, it's to the dungeon to, yes. to lay another tile. Right. So anytime, yeah, anyone's, anytime you go to the dungeon, you get to reveal the top tile and place it anywhere in the Elder Vale grid that you're building. And once that stack is finished, that'll trigger the end game. The other way the end game happens is once one player has completed all six of their dwellings. Yeah. And then the usual rules for these kinds of games apply where everybody will get one more turn and then you will count up points, which will be, you know, again, the quests you completed, your dwellings, your position on the elemental tracker, the cards in your tableau. Um, yeah, that's that's the short version right. of it. So I would just say, the way I would just put this is this is a pretty, pretty... Uh, intense but not too overwhelming complex hybrid game that is combining um like that traditional worker placement euro game style with a more combat aggressive um sometimes even luck based style of yeah, game definitely yeah um anything that anything you think is crucial that I didn't include in the overview there's just a few things i would su- supplement with i think you did a great job covering the the you know laying the groundwork for what this is all about i know we usually save game comparisons to the end but i'm tempted to yes. bring up a couple now just to i was ju- thinking just, the same thing because just it's to helpful. give a sense of like how this is different because for for one thing i think people could think about this and think oh worker placement how similar is this to scythe how similar is this to everdell mm-hmm. i mean one thing that comes to mind is unlike most games i think there's one iter- newer iteration of Catan that does this mechanic as well but you're you have a trade-off when you're building settlements it's the it's the one of the main ways to get points but unlike dwellings. dwellings, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, as you're, you know, as you're building them, there's a constant trade off between your workers. You start with three of them. You can build up to six. And every time you build a dwelling, you're basically putting a roof over one of your worker meeples and it doesn't move. You, are relinquishing control of it for the rest of the game. Yes. And so honestly, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to get into like the quality of the production yet, but that is one of my favorite things about this game is just how creative that was putting a little roof on top yeah. of a little person. And it looks like yeah, a house. It's pretty great. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, that is like a big trade off in this game where unlike most games like this, where, you're getting all your workers back at the end of every round here that becomes a little bit more constrained because of one, the fact that you're using them 
to create dwellings along the way. You're not starting with all of them. So you're rarely going to have more than three or four at a time and usually more in the two to three range over most games I would hazard to say. And then in addition to that, um, you know, the, the cost of building the new ones escalates as well. So yeah. it's what one di- key difference I think is you're dealing at the start, especially at the start, but even later at the game with a more constricted economy than in many resource management worker placement type games. Yes, I think, yeah, this is definitely one of those games where like resources are very difficult to get early on. Yes. And you really need some kind of break, whether it's like getting the right treasure token tile that would give you resources or like buying the right card or even just like which tiles show up in Elder Veil versus which ones are still in the stack and yet to be revealed. It can make a huge difference yeah. um, to your overall game. So before we move on, I just wanted to, I was thinking like, because you wanted to bring up the, um, the games that I think are a good comparison. Yeah. What else comes to mind? The way I would describe this is the game that comes to mind first is always going to be Scythe. Yeah. But I don't want to overstate that because all that really means in my mind is the way that the workers go on these hexagon spots that give you specific resources based on the terrain. The workers are staggered in how you get them over the course of the game, which also happens in Scythe. And the cost of using them increases, albeit in different ways. And then the way that points are calculated using a a tracker that gives you a multiplier effect. That is, that is the Scythe analogy. The combat is very different. Um, The combat is more important in this game than it Far is in Scythe more. most of the time. Um, I would also say it is like Everdell in the way that your card tableau giving you powers to activate is crucial and gives you access to additional resources. But it's also not too much like Everdell because unlike Everdell, there are no rounds in Correct. this game. Everdell is played over a series of four rounds. In this game, it is completely fluid and you can have as many personal rounds as you want every time you choose to regroup so in that way it is much more like something like wayfarers of the south tigris um where you can do as much as you want in wayfarers you have your dice and your workers and then you decide when you want to rest and get those back and reroll your dice in this game it's just like that you decide when you want to regroup and get your units back yeah and in and then yeah. it's also a little bit like Raiders of the North Sea in that, again, that fluidity of there not being rounds and that kind of give and take of the workers, the little roll of the dice in helping you achieve objectives. And then also the way that the workers are sacrificed and turned into dwellings in this game also kind of reminds me of in Raiders when you use a certain worker color um, to raid and then you never get that worker back and what happens sometimes in raiders is especially those gray workers that are kind of like the middle tier they end up getting like left out of the game pretty early or like the black ones that give you extra coins like they'll all be gone because people raided a whole bunch of harbors 
And so you're like, oh, I wish that there was still like a gray in circulation or a black in circulation because I can't do what I need with a white worker and that's all I have access right. to. So it's just, yeah, it's tight in that way. So like, it reminds me of all of these games, but it's not fair to say that it is like a parallel to any one of no, them. It... And I think that's what makes this game special. It really like is drawing heavily from a lot of different things and combining it in really unique ways, which I like. Yeah. No, that's definitely true. That's definitely true. Yeah. So, um, were you? Did you have anything else to add to that, or should we move on to um, tips? I think we can move. I think strategies. we can move on to tips. Yeah. Great. Um, so I think we've we've touched on it a little bit, but um, what's one tip that you would give to first time players? I know there's a lot there, to choose. There from. is a lot to choose from. <laughs> One thing that I just from the most recent game we've played. One thing that's really stuck with me is how important it is to build up at least some sort of resource generating engine early, if possible, um, because mm-hmm. you know what the way the mechanic works early is on your first turn or two before you have anything out there and any resources in your hand, you're just collecting these tiles. So every time you go to a hex and, you know, or Ed mentioned these hexes, picture a Catan board, basically just slightly larger ones. And yeah, even, even just like, just like Scythe. Yeah. I think Scythe is pretty much how it is. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, you're getting these tiles and you have a choice when you draw them. You can either discard them for a one-time, like, to gather those resources printed on them, one, sometimes two, one time. Or you can save them and wait until you have cards in your tableau to place them on. And then later in the game, because of that kind of difference, deferred gratification you're able to when you reset your workers and regroup you can place them on those cards in your tableau and gather resources before you begin your next round yeah you're basically filling a little slot on a tile like a blank slot with one of these treasure token tiles and it can like you know give you more control over which resources you get and sometimes give you more than you otherwise would which yeah. is, yeah, I agree with you completely. It's essential. Um, so that was going to be what I said as well, but I, I will give a different one just so I'm offering something else. Is when you are dwelling or buying cards to add to your tableau, I think try to specialize a little bit as much as you, get, you can into... Um, a couple elements. So in a two-player game, you'll be using four of the eight elements. In a three-player game, five. Four-player game, six, etc. Um, and at the end of the day, like you can only really have a place on four of the elemental trackers at a time max. So that does kind of limit you. Like The game's rules limit you in and of itself. Yeah. But I would say even then, if you can, try to focus on maybe three. Um, and don't shop too much in too diverse a selection of elements because you want to like specialize, get 
your trackers up high so you're getting four or five points on those yes. trackers five being the maximum yes. and then you also will have you know enough dwellings and cards in your tableau that match so that you're actually getting a good return on your investment yeah. um as opposed to like having a dwelling on chaos but you had nothing on the chaos trackers so you're not going to get any points and, for it. and not and not um, to put too fine a point on that, but I mean, you made the comparison to the popularity tracker in Scythe, but you're dealing with a yes. more complex animal here because whereas with that popularity tracker, it's like a one, like wherever you are on this single tracker, it's like that's the multiplier for like all of your point scoring. Everything. This is a separate tracker essentially for each element. And so... You're yeah. only getting a higher multiplier on the ones that you have moved up significantly on. Yes. Um, well, this is kind of leading well, into... One other, one other thing I wanted to bring up in terms of gameplay that we haven't touched on yet, but is so essential to how this game works that I think we do have to mention it, is just the movement restrictions. Because... Mm, yeah. It's also, as as you can see, very easy to forget. It, it is, and and so, and what the, what I mean by that is, for most of the factions, your workers are. You, when you start a round, you can place them in any un, unoccupied hex, but after that, they have to be placed in adjacent ones, and especially mm-hmm. if you are at an the the game kind of ebbs and flows as more tiles are introduced but if you're in one of these stages where it's been a few turns since that has happened and other folks are not quite to the point where they're regrouping you might not have very many choices of where you can go at all and yeah and that's essential yeah. to the design of the game because that's what forces combat i think that's like a big difference between this and yes. scythe is that Scythe gives you that option to kind of avoid other people and still get completely what you want. Yes. in this game. It's like, nope, there are limited spots. And so sometimes even if you don't want to be involved in a combat in order for you to get what you want to do your own thing, you still are going to run into a monster or another yeah. player. It's just going to happen. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. Cool. And, and because in this game, you're building on specific, hexes rather than like in scythe you're just you know building wherever based on your tableau like the yeah the building conditions are more restrictive too because you can only build on a spot where you have a worker already and so for all of these reasons like it does tend to you know privilege a combat heavy strategy or at least a not a combat aversive one just because you know even if you're not seeking out conflict if you're on a spot where that someone else wants to be on you're going to have them coming for you either way right um so that i think leads at least for me well into what i was going to say about the best thing about yeah, this go game for it. so as you can probably pick up on from this discussion there's a lot going on in this game And I think that it would be so easy for a game like this that is so ambitious, trying to, you know, mix so many different genres and mechanisms to fail and kind of buckle under that weight. But I think part of why this game is so successful is that as 
intricate as the rules and strategies might be, the presentation makes it easy. Yes. So like this game is so like the design is so user friendly that I honestly think it is the most user friendly game that I own. And I'm not even like I don't even think I'm being hyperbolic about that. Like when we talked about Wayfarers of the South Tigris, um, and even Architects of the West Kingdom to an extent, like those Garfield games in general, one thing I was critical of was the iconography and the graphic design in places. This game does not have that problem. Every element is a bright, very distinct color. So when you see red, you know exactly what that means. There's no confusing it. And that carries Um, over between the different components, whether it be the elemental tracker, the monster, the cards that you're playing in your cards. And they also, yeah, it's not just like the colors of things. It's also like they have symbols that match that are intuitive. So like there's a fire symbol on the red card. So you know it is the fire faction. So even if the artwork you know you're like is that light blue or dark blue you should be able to tell but also just in case you were confused there is an icon the dark it's very colorblind friendly for how colorful the game is yes which is essential and it's also just even if you're not colorblind like you're instantly going to pick up on it from the visual cues nothing is cluttered um the tiles and the cards and everything are not overstuffed with things the iconography on the resources is really simple and appealing and again everything is a different color and yeah it just it just makes it a a seamless experience um and i think that is essential to the success and then also in terms of presentation the way that they put together this box is wonderful and it makes for a game like this it's so big so (laughs) a couple weekends ago it was you know, like just after nine o'clock and it was a couple of us, you were in that group yeah. and you asked if I wanted to play Everdell. And honestly, as much as I love, adore Everdell, I said no. And the reason for that wasn't because I didn't want to play Everdell, but it was just the thought of having to set up and then take down all the components in that giant collector's box just felt like I wasn't in the mood and it kept it from being played that night. Yeah. You know, it wasn't even the game itself. This, you don't have that problem because when you open this box, your setup time is so quick because everything is super organized. It's boxed together. Every deck of, yeah, everything is in custom made trays that come with the game. Every player has their own like little tray with all their colored resources in it, little bins to put your resources in. All your workers are in it. Every all your dice, it's perfect, and it's covered by your little faction yep. board, so you know exactly which faction it's it's for. Yep. All the little decks of cards and the resource um, treasure tokens for each faction are again like custom fitted into these trays that just have a basic plastic lid on top. You remove it, you're ready to go, and that's just how the whole box is. Yep. And everything has a place where it fits. And part of the reason why the box is so big is because it's already made so that if you get the upgrade kits, they fit. Mm-hmm. And like there's space for them already in this box. So you're never going to have to worry about getting a, you know, upgrade box like some of those Garfield games or the Everdell complete collection versus the basic game. So it's like once you get Dwellings of Eldervale, they basically give you a promise that you have everything you need. You have space to upgrade if you want to, but you don't have to. And even if you don't, everything will fit seamlessly. And it's so easy to set it up, so easy to put it back together. And while you're playing it, 
the opportunities to be confused because of anything to do with the visuals is basically out of the question. So you can just focus entirely on the game itself because you don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah. That's my pitch. No, yeah. I think I think you nailed it on that. I I think the it's it's really it really is a standout in that in that sense. So one thing I for for mine I want to focus a little bit more on the gameplay itself and I just want to give a give another shout, shout out to the elemental tracker, the the multiplier mm-hmm. just because in Especially, like, I think one of the most genius things about it is the fact that, you know, in the higher player count games, you're having to pick. And there's always going to be one faction, the way the numbers fall, if I'm remembering this correctly, that you're not on at all. And more than, more one. than one. Sometimes, sometimes. yeah. Because the way, the way it works is you have the number of factions you are playing with plus two. Yeah. So two-player game is four factions going up to a four player game having seven factions. Yeah. No, sorry. Six. Five player game has seven factions. Yeah. Yeah. But um what w- what's really cool about it is that I mean, I love the added wrinkle of choosing between which trackers you want to move up, which is kind of like as as I already said a, a fun riff on Scythe popularity tracker. Mm-hmm. But beyond that it also includes an element that reminds me a little bit of Dune Imperium um, because it, and it is a little bit like Dune Imperium where you have the four different factions that you're gaining influence with and moving up a similar tracker and a similar mechanic to those is that, you know, the first person to the top of it gets a one-time bonus, gets a, gets a little, what are those gems called in this game? Orbs. orbs, right? One of the orb tokens, which you can either place on one of your cards to get bonus points at the end of the game, or turn in immediately for a one-time bonus. I will say, it's I like that mechanic, but it the stakes of getting to the top of a given faction are not as high in this as they are in Dune Imperium, where getting to the top first basically locks in your soul like control of the victory point for that faction. So it's not quite the same stakes, but it's still a fun, a fun addition. And the other thing I like about it is the fact that there's more than one thing you can do with those orbs. And like, it's dependent on what cards you have in play. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. And even like on the little orb tracker on the board, you can use it in different ways depending on what you need. So like if you're really desperate for a certain resource, you can put it on the spot that would give you two potions. Yeah. If you're good on resources, you can be like, you know what? I'm just going to put it on the spot that gives me three points. Just flat out take the points and move on. If you have a big combat, it's it's a nice, if you have a big combat coming up that you are really hoping to win and you're short on swords, you can get three swords. Get some extra dice. It's, it's a good flexible um, device that they put in the game. Cool. So why don't you kick us off with worst thing about this game? So I think to me, the thing that I'm, the game, 
I'm not the hugest fan of the combat system in this game. It mm. in what way? I I don't love the randomness of it and the luck of it. Mm-hmm. Um, just okay. I'm thinking. I mean, it, it, the, there are some comparisons that can be drawn, as I've said just a moment ago, to Dune Imperium, and I think the combat systems between these two games are are fairly different. Like in both of them, you can have have cards and other means of adding to your combat score that are not revealed until the combat is underway. So it's not just, oh, who has the higher base strength? But Mm -hmm. I think there's, in that game, I think in Dune Imperium, it's, depending on how you look at it, either a little bit more ruthless or a little bit more rewarding of meticulous pre-planning where you know you can kind of choose which battles you want to participate in and make sure that you make the one or two most pivotal ones for the strategy you're doing count the most and like those those combats are just kind of edge of your seats whereas in this game it's like you can plan everything out perfectly but like even if you plan everything out perfectly and if you both have a couple swords, it's probably just going to be a five on five or six on six dice toss. And then it's just a coin toss. Basically. Well, even, even without that, like the flip side of that is you can plan everything perfectly and then just still have it backfire on you through no fault yes. of your own. So what I'm thinking about is the game that you and I, and, and we played a three player game last night and what happened fairly early on was and i think this honestly was the moment i was like yeah i lost this game it was one of the first turns and i had set up myself perfectly i came into a combat with you i attacked you i had four dice you had two yep i was like okay this should be good i set myself up well for this i did what i was supposed to do i planned we rolled our dice i lost and that really had like cascading consequences for me because it burned a whole turn Mm -hmm in one of the earliest rounds of the game, which as we mentioned, when the resources are tied at the beginning, mm-hmm. the turns at the beginning are really valuable. Yeah. And well, yeah, and then, so I mean, kind of like to... worker, And then your workers got sent to the underworld too, so you weren't able to use Yeah, them, so I couldn't right? use it when I was regrouping. So it really has a high cost. Um, and so I was going to, I was going to agree with you that my thing about this game that I don't love is, it's not so much focus on the combat so much, but it's the randomness in general. Mm-hmm is a little bit too much, um, especially considering, you know, you look at that 3.27 complexity rating and there's so many different cool strategies that exist in this game, but there's always that like anxiety underpinning everything that there's a lot of luck involved. Yeah. And so it shows up in the combat with the dice. And honestly, I think the best combat comparison for this game is actually risk. It is. It's very much um, like risk, which yeah, which is obviously going to be a controversial thing and that, you know, is notoriously maddening to lots of people. Yeah. <laughs> um, And it has some of those same issues. And then the other thing with randomness is like the faction you have can be severely improved or weakened depending on just the layout of Eldervale itself. And which how is the layout determined? Up. Completely yeah. random. It's completely random in terms of which elemental tiles come up first. 
So luckily in our game last night, it didn't affect any one of us strongly, but all three fire tiles showed up at the beginning. So we had an Elder Veil that was heavily focused on the fire faction. None of us are playing with the fire faction. To build dwellings on the fire faction, you need gems. None of us had any way at the beginning of the game to get gems. Mm-hmm. Um, we had like no specialty in gems at all. And so that probably made the resource gathering even slower in general than other games I've played. But the way that can play out as well, and I've seen this happen, is where like the, the tiles that show up early clearly favor one player's um, specialty. Yeah. And again, that can have a cascading effect because if you build first, if you build your dwelling first, you take that spot. It's permanent. No one can take it away from you. And then what? that's one spot fewer that other people have availability yeah. to. So the randomness in, in the dice, the tile reveals, um, and sometimes even in which cards show up from the deck to or like which um, treasure tokens are on the top of the stack can be a big deal in this game. And so like a fix that I would, I don't know like if this would work as a one for one, but something I thought of with like the combat in particular is like, what if you changed it? So you had something more resembling that armor track in Raiders and then the dice are just like supplemental. So you still have like some degree of randomness for fun and for a surprise factor, but underpinning it, everyone, each faction maybe has like a base strength that they come into. And so like a really heavy, combat focused faction can have like a base strength of six, whereas others have like a three or one of them. That's like the pacifist have a zero. And so they need to like beef up their dice even more, you know, Mm. or like the monsters themselves can have like a base strength going in as well. That can make them a little bit more challenging. Mm. I'm just trying to think of like, or like with the tile reveals, maybe when you set up the game, maybe you set it up and have, you start like guaranteeing that you put at least one tile from each element you're using. So on that on that front, I think that that is that is a house rule that could be implemented fairly easily. Certainly, the certainly. I guess it's a matter of taste. The combat thing's trickier. Like, I'm I'm curious what kind of trade offs came up during playtesting that that led them down the the path that they ended up on. And I guess I guess to some degree, like. There, there there definitely are things that are not totally random about the combat because like some of the monsters and some of the factions have special mm-hmm. combat abilities. Like my faction last night, I had an ability where like my adjacent units could add additional dice to my combat without me having them officially move and join the combat, which was helpful. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it was still just adding dice. And as we said, like you could have a, advantage in terms of number of dice you know two over someone else four versus two and still lose so it's not everything yeah um so again like that's that's my one kind of gripe with this game um but overall i i love it and i guess like that is just something else you factor into how you strategize i guess like maybe the more i play it the more you realize like yeah you cannot maybe you cannot be as confident as you would be in other games when you're going into certain decisions and you have to be more flexible and have other contingency plans just in case yeah. which you know could be a way to think about adding to the strategy as well but, yeah but at the same time because the resources are so short like 
if it backfires, it, you don't yeah. have a lot of margin for error. Yep. It's a bind. Yep, yep, it's yep. a bind. I trust. Trust me. I felt it last yeah. night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But cool. But yeah, um, uh, it's still a really, really interesting game. So as far as. Do you want to give an official like game comparison or should we just leave it with the list we've talked about already? Um, like which one you'd recommend to fans of this game or vice versa? I think, I think I would, I think I'd recommend Dune Imperium because it's okay. just because it's got a similar tracker element. Um, and in that case, the tracker isn't really a point mu- multiplier cause you, you're just getting, you know, a, a base certain, like a base number of points from, you know, moving past a th- certain threshold in each faction's tracker and then being the first one to the, to the end of it or the one that's the furthest along it. Um, but I think right. that combined with the, mm, the, the slightly less random combat system, I think, there are other big differences between these two games, but I think for folks that had, you know, some of the maybe qualms that, you know, mild to moderate qualms that we had about that, I think that this could serve as a, um, an interesting alternative. alternative. Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep it simple and just stick with Scythe. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, just intuitively that is the game that always comes to mind as the most similar thing that I've played and that I own. Um, and I think specifically just some people seem to, when they play Scythe, almost wish that it had more aggression and combat going on. And so I think that if you're one of those people, this is something that you might want to try. Um, yeah. And vice versa. Like if this is too aggressive for you at the combat, maybe you prefer Scythe. Mm-hmm. Although I can't imagine there are a lot of people out there who've played this and haven't played Scythe yeah. already, um, given how notorious Scythe is. Yeah. And then just a note on your, your Dune Imperium thing, just because I'm really curious. I still haven't played that yeah. game. But in my mind, I always think, oh, it's just the same as Lost Ruins of Arnak. But in my head, I would never say that Lost Ruins of Arnak is my go-to for this. Like, even less so than Everdell. Everdell, at least you have the Tableau system. Arnak, you don't. So that makes me really curious in terms of seeing like really what the differences are with Dune Imperium. Well, I think and Lost so one big, one big difference that you have is that you don't, you're not building a tableau in Dune Imperium. Instead, you're it's deck, deck building. You're building a deck. Yeah, no, yeah. That, it's also, it's also that in Arnak. Yeah. That's what I meant. I wanted to see like what the differences are between those two games, not those in Dwellers. Oh, I see game. what you're saying. Well, well, I yeah, guess yeah. one one question I have is I don't I it's been a while since I've played Lost Ruin, so I don't remember quite how the mechanics of using your deck work. But one of the things I do mm-hmm. like in Dune Imperium that's that's um similar in some ways to Race for the Galaxy is you basically have have two stages to every turn. Um you can each card has certain icons on it, which let your workers go to certain worker placement spaces. But then on the bottom Mm -hmm. of the card, there are also 
like if you don't use your card, you're drawing five cards every hand. If you don't use your card to Mm -hmm. move a worker, you can use it to some of them have like the equivalent of swords on them to add to your combat value. Yeah, that's that's how Arnak is. Arnak, it's um, you use the cards. They have travel symbols to go to different locations yeah. on the board. And if you don't use them to travel, you can instead play a card to get the actual card ability. So yeah, that part's okay. similar. Yeah. But um, we'll discuss those games yes. again in Certainly. depth on another day. Um, yes. So let's move on to our final scores yeah. for Dwellings of Eldervale. I'm going to, yeah, sure. I'll keep mine short and sweet. I'm going to give it an eight. I really like the elemental tracker. I really like the wide array of factions. I like the idea that there's so many different monsters with the, you know, upgrade kit. If (laughs) we ever get our hands on it. Um, I know, but, um, and honestly, I would have loved to go even higher with this game and I probably would have, if not for the combat system. Fair. I'm going to go with an 8.5, um, for very similar reasons. So it is, I think as of right now, having played it four times now, I think that when we do our, um, top 10 at the end of 2023, I do think that this will be in that top 10. Uh Um, but when I think about a lot of those games in my top 10, I give them nines. Yeah. And again, like the thing that is really just keeping this on the cusp of like, you know, the hall of fame, like being solid up there with like wingspan and Everdell and Wayfarers and Arnak that I love, like the obvious top five kind of material yeah. is the randomness. Yeah. You know, and like obviously all these decks, all these games, like when you have decks of cards, there's always some randomness. But in this one, I think it's just it's less a combination of different things. The randomness. Yeah, and it shows up in just like one too many places. Mm, that's fair. Yeah. Cool. Um, but that is that's high praise, an eight and eight point five, and then we factor in that you don't give tens, so your eights are basically nines. <laughs> so <laughs> hey, we can't we can't be doing uh, too much point inflation here. <laughs> yeah um all right but, cool but yeah glad that we had a chance to uh yeah get into the oh f- i've i've one, one more one more fun question before we yeah, close go out for it uh do you have a favorite element that's in this game i think hmm it's recency bias but i really liked the the avian faction the wind that i just played yeah. last night i also that was cool if i had if i was made of slightly sterner stuff i might see say the chaos faction just because i love the hp lovecraft-esque art with that one yeah that's i think i'm gonna say darkness i think might be my favorite just aesthetically but yeah the chaos one is awesome and just again just a side note the artwork in this game i know we didn't list all of the artists because there's so many of them but like if you're a big fan of just like high fantasy artwork that's really vibrant really colorful um you know dragons and witches and trolls and elves and like sea monsters and you know nightmarish horror creatures and stuff this game has a lot of that i mean the box alone is just like giant beasts all over it it's yeah it's a great box um and 
and yeah. which you do not always get with these kind of kind of games. I mean, I'm comparing it to to oceans and like uh, yeah, boxes on a whole nother level. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. So on that note, let's close out on Dwellings of Alderville. Yes, this was fun. Glad that we could, and I'm glad. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm glad we got to play this a second time. Yeah, definitely. And glad that we got to embark on this fantasy quest with with listeners this this week, especially on the heels of uh, uh, Awesome Con. And yeah, we'll have to see what's what we've got cooked up for next week. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it might be it might be time to take a little break from dragons. Yeah, but we'll see. What <laughs> yeah, we we'll have. see how it goes. <laughs> All right. We'll see you see next, you next week. week.